We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for 4-19-09, April 19th, 09. And today we're going to continue our study on the Twilight, this vampire series that's causing quite a stir, uh, particularly you know among the secular crowd, but also among the uh, so-called Christians. And uh, this is going to be part two. And the next article we're looking at is a special report from LighthouseTrailsResearch.com, which is a very, very good resource uh, for anything relating to the emerging church, uh, how the New Age and contemplative mysticism is infiltrating Christianity. Probably the best site for that on the Internet by far. And you can sign up for their free newsletter as well. And it's LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. <clears throat> LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. Excellent, excellent site. They have a lot of stuff on Oprah, Rick Warren, uh, anybody associated with this New Age infiltration of the church. So, <clears throat> just wanted to give you that resource as well. The uh, this re- It's a special report, and it's entitled, Occultic Twilight Movie is Praised by Christian Groups. And it starts out by saying the the church and Christians are being deceived by many New Age occultic philosophies and are promoting them as compatible with Christian ideals. Just to name a few, The Secret came out in 2006. Now, I've done a whole teaching on The Secret. All you have to do is go to my homepage on my on Sermon Audio and um, <clears throat> you can go up to the homepage and there's a little box there. You can key in The Secret. And that will give you, uh, it'll take you right to the, the teaching I've done on it. Uh, Oprah, also, you can also key in Oprah if you want to know. I've done the several teachings on Oprah. And she relates a lot to the secret. She's promoted it heavily. And she's promoted a lot of the New Age infiltration. Now, my homepage on the website is www.sermonaudio, one word, sermonaudio.com forward slash... <clears throat> Dr. Scott Johnson, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And that's that way you can get to it. Um, and it's www.sermonaudio.com forward slash Dr. Just D-R-S-C-O-T-T-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And that's how you can get to my homepage. Because I have a lot of people emailing me and asking me, what's your homepage? <clears throat> also, this week, a... Uh, a Christian sister in America, she started a forum for, it's called End Time Current Events, and uh, it's a forum that uh, you can access, probably try to put this on my homepage as well, but uh, if you're on my email list, you'll see it in the actual header of the emails from now on, the Christian forum, that you can go up to, and if, if you have want to exchange information or have questions, you can go up on the forum and post on there too, and uh, we've already... That's already taken off pretty good as well. So I'll try to get that up on my homepage. And, and if, you get, if you're on my email list, it'll be with that too. Now, to subscribe to the email list, just email me and let me know what email list you'd like to be on. I have two email lists, one with Christian-oriented current events and another one with health-oriented current events. I highly advise you get on both because there's a lot of things that really relate to... Uh, the end times that actually I get into in both lists. So anyway, going further, um, let me just 
Okay, so the church and Christians are being deceived by many New Age occult philosophies and are promoting them as compatible with Christian ideals. To name a few, The Secret came out in 2006, and then A Course in Miracles. Now again, I've talked about The Course in Miracles. Uh, you can uh, key that in on the search box, or Oprah, because she, she's the one that's associated with that as well. She's promoted that. <clears throat> and then the movie The Golden Compass in 2007. The seventh book in the Harry Potter series was released in 2007, and he just had his new movie. I think it's debuting right now, The Half-Blood Prince or something. So it's just pure witchcraft is what you're dealing with here. It's pure New Age witchcraft. And I, I've got a whole teaching entitled Witchcraft Becoming One World Religion. And you can just key in a part of the actual title on my search page on, in the search box, and it'll find it for you. You don't have to have the whole word. But really, this is what the New World Order, Lucifer, Satan, has been preparing us for, is, is the coming New Age, the, the one world religion, which in its, in, in its essence will be witchcraft. And all of the these things that are on TV, the TV shows, the, the movies that are out there, the books, the talk shows, they're preparing us for this one world religion, this new age witchcraft. And that's going to be the essence of it. I mean, <clears throat> it's not just going to be Catholicism. It's not just going to be Buddhism or Hinduism. It's going to be an amalgamation of all of these religions, just like it was at the Tower of Babel. And God split everybody up at the Tower of Babel, and they all went and had their own little respective flavors of occultic religion after that. Well, they're all coming together again, and that's where we're going back into. And these books and videos and movies <coughs> are preparing us for these things. So we got Harry Potter. And then in 2008, there was The Shack, which is another one. We haven't talked a lot about The Shack, but um, I have put some emails out about it. And then Oprah Winfrey endorsed the book, The New Earth. And Oprah, you know, essentially has her own cult following, literally cult following. So, simultaneously, in 2006, a teenage phenomenon began gaining incredible momentum. A demonically inspired series of a vampire romance, which surprisingly has hoodwinked Christian youth who are confusing... God's love with sensual romantic lust and his word with occult philosophy. As twilight lulls the spiritual spiritual asleep into a darker the spiritually asleep into a darker sleep, the church needs to wake up to a super, the supernatural dangers that comprises this problem. The book itself um, and again, we've talked a little bit about this, but just as a recap, the author Stephanie Meyer's four book series, Twilight Eclipse, New Moon, and Breaking Dawn have sold seven, 17 million copies already, principally to preteen and teenage girls, and has spawned more than 350 fan sites. According to the author's website, these are statistics for Twilight, her first book in the series. Um, and these books are all published by Little Brown Books for Young Readers. That's the actual publisher. The entire four-book collection is called The Twilight Saga. So there's four books. The whole thing's called The Twilight Saga. All the books in the series follow a forbidden fruit of love theme between a human teenage girl who would be considered immortal and a true vampire. The Twilight movie, released by Summit Entertainment, with the sequel, number two and number three, already in the works, grossed 
70.6 million its first week. Twilight is more than a four-book series and movie. It's a pop culture phenomenon, hotter than even Potter mania. Now, also, too, Harry Potter, you know, these kids are growing up. And this is a little bit more, maybe, mature and sophisticated. Kind of the next step in the Harry Potter series, you know. Particularly for the girls, you know. If they, if, if, um, they grew up in being indoctrinated into Harry Potter, and, and don't kid yourself. And I've done a whole teaching on Harry Potter, you can access as well. But Harry Potter is high-level witchcraft. There's, there's things in Harry Potter that spells and things of like this that a lot of high-level occultists don't even mess around with because there's a price and they know that. Uh, but they're indoctrinating these, these children into this. And this is kind of, I believe, the next step for a lot of them. They're a little bit older now. Now they're ready to move up to, this, to the twilight. Uh, going further... It's, this has prompted midnight release parties, vampire proms. They've got these things called vampire proms, evidently. And it's claiming more than 100 million hits on the Twilight Internet sites. The series, commonly referred to as Twilight, is, an, is about an out-of-place sophomore teenage girl named Bella who moves to a new town, falls in love with a handsome 108-year-old, frozen at 17. His name is Edward. Uh, Edward and his coven of vampire families are vowed good and vegetarian vampires. So these are strict vegan. If you really want to be strict, you're a vegan vegetarian. That's how you know if you're a serious vegetarian. A vegan. Sorry. I'm sorry, but my, my most unhealthy patients I have ever seen ever were strict vegan vegetarians. That is because there are certain things you cannot get if you're a pure vegetarian. And it's not its not God's will. Jesus Christ wasn't a vegetarian. And yes, prior to the flood, they were vegetarians. But I've done a whole study on this. And uh, just keen either vegetarianism, or I did a whole study on the Hallelujah diet that with that uh, Malchemist guy, to see if it was really biblical. Because you have to go back to Genesis and stay pre-flood in Genesis in order to justify a vegetarian lifestyle. It's not natural. And after the flood, we had different nutritional needs than we did before, and that's because the environment was totally different. Kent Hoven gets into this in his seven-part series. I believe it's The Age of the Earth. Um, it's either tape one or two of Kent Hoven. And regardless of how you feel about Kent Hoven, um, I know some people say, well, his, his some of his information isn't um, as good as uh, some other creationists out there. Well, there's a lot of truth that you can glean from Ken Hoven, and um, I truly believe he's a man of God as well. Um, and um, you can go access his, his internet talks up on the internet, and just key in Ken Hovind, and on um, either Google or YouTube, and you'll find him. Part one or part two gets a lot into that, and, and why our why our nutritional needs? It'll kind of make sense to you pre and post flood how our nutritional needs were different. Also, I get into this on the study that I did on vegetarianism and the uh, Hallelujah diet is what they call it. And uh, going further, so these are vegetarian vampires, and they only feed on animal blood rather than human blood. Now, how can you be a vegetarian and still feed on blood? That, that, I would say, would kind of disqualify you from being a vegetarian. Yes, I have my celery and my mung beans and uh, sprouts in the morning. And I top it off with a big, nice, frothy glass of blood. 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense, okay? You can't be a vegetarian and drink blood, but, I don't know, evidently they call themselves that. Um, Edward wants to be, wants to feed on Bella every time the sexual tension gets too high. He avoids having sex with her, not on any moral grounds, but out of the fear lest he uh, feed on her and cause her to become one of the undead like himself, the undead. <clears throat> but she loves him regardless and is willing to step into his eternity no matter what the cost. So she's willing to give her soul up to the devil. And she already has, I mean, really at this point. But she's really wanting to make it official, even, you know, even before eternity. So this goes on to say, it sounds like a trite story, but the shocker is that many Christians are attracted to this spiritually dysfunctional romance and worse, are attempting to give Christian applications to its demonic premise, suggesting this be an acceptable Christian discussion. Some Christian reviewers on Christian internet sites are using the story to initiate Bible studies and the discussion on so-called Christian principles that can be drawn from the story. See, they're, they're so wanting to justify their sin before other Christians, they're willing to take the extra step to actually commingle, try to commingle the Bible with this vampire story. Like we can draw good parallels from this story. This is the state of the church now. This is how sorry the church is. It's pretty much, you know, they're sorry. They're, they're pitiful. Uh, they're lukewarm, and the Bible predicts it's going to be this way in Revelation 3. They're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They, yet, they think they're in need of nothing. They're, they're lukewarm. They're blinded by their own pride. They think that they're, you know, they think they're in need of nothing, yet the way God sees them is wretched, weak, naked before him. And that's why he says, I counseled me to buy me white raiment, and, and I said that thou mayest see. They can't see. And the white raiment is, is, is symbolic of um, the righteousness of Christ. And they're not walking in any type of Christian righteousness whatsoever, biblical righteousness. And, they're, and their eyes are blinded that they cannot see. And a lot of it, they're blinded by their own pride because they think they're in need of nothing. And pride blinds you. I, I, somebody said the other day, all sin blinds you. Well, I think, yeah, if you stay in the sin long enough, but not all sins blind to the same extent. Pride blinds worse than anything. Because if you're a murderer, you pretty much know you're a murderer. It's kind of hard to deny that, okay? I know a lot of murderers do deny it, but deep down they know they're a murderer. But somebody that's proud really doesn't understand how that blinds them to the truth. They're proud. They think they're in need of nothing. Same thing that happened to Satan in Ezekiel. Because of his beauty and because of his merchandise, the Bible says he was lifted up. He was lifted up. And he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to ascend unto the sides of the north and usurp the Lord's position. And it blind, you know, you think, my word, you know, he had to be blinded to, to think he could actually pull that thing off. But he, he went ahead with it. So he is the. This is where the first sin was ever committed in the Bible. It goes, it predates the Garden of Eden, if you think about it. Just something to think about. So if we go further, uh, <clears throat> so they're trying to initiate these Bible studies and the Christian principles that can be drawn from it. A new Christianized twist on this demonic deception is invading 
um, vulnerable so-called Christians, as they say, or as I say, we need to examine exactly what a vampire is and ask, can Christians honestly consider it okay for teens, indeed anyone, to crave a relationship with one? For centuries, vampires have been part of folklore and mythology, understood to be ugly, dark creatures of morbid terror, uh, close to the dead, sometimes known as the undead, for they claim eternal life and subsist by feeding on human blood. They roam in darkness, avoid the light, and are enemies of the human race. Now, you can go up on the internet, and uh, I don't know if this is up on Google or YouTube, and you can access Bill Schneblin's interview called Interview with an Ex-Vampire. And, uh, you know, some people would say, I don't believe it. Well, Bill was heavily involved in the occult. There is no doubt about that. Okay, And I, I watched the, the interview with the ex-Vampire, and... You know, I just don't know how he could know those kind of details and not of actually... And this is somebody that wasn't going into the wannabe vampire stuff. Because there's a lot of people out there that are involved in the occult and they'll say, oh no, they're wannabes. You know, if you see somebody driving down the road and they've got a pentagram on the back of their car, that's most likely a wannabe occultist. A true Luciferian or Satanist is not going to have a pentagram on their car and walk around you know, acting like a witch. The ones at the higher levels carefully conceal what they're doing. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Okay? So there's different flavors. And um, Bill, I believe, was heading toward this. And I'll tell you what, that interview is pretty amazing. Uh, not to be want to do it, obviously, but the details that he brought out in this. And um, I think you'll see, if you ever see that interview, that there's a difference between, you know, like a goth that goes around and maybe acts like he's going to be a vampire than somebody that's really pursuing this. Uh, and for people to say there's no validity at all to vampirism or, or any of these occultic things, well, so you're saying that all of the stuff that Hollywood's pumping down our throat and all of the, the legends and things like this, you're telling me there's no validity whatsoever. It's all made up and there's no validity to this evil. I don't believe Satan would devote so much time getting the message out about something if there was absolutely no validity. And he's preparing the world for evil to be unleashed, particularly during the tribulation period, that when it's released, it won't be such a shock to us. The aliens, the vampires, all these things. You know, people think of them as, you know, some people think, or Christians, the typical Christian would think, oh, that's just a bunch of garbage, there's no validity to that at all. What would you do if these things actually were manifesting, walking around the streets? What would you, wh why do you think Satan's devoted all this time in Hollywood? To putting this message out, the UFOs, this thing now with the vampires, Harry Potter, witchcraft. Now Matray is advertising commercials on, on the internet. You know, why do you think that he would do that? Just because he's just wanting to waste his time? Something to think about. Then this is why you need to draw nigh to God. The Bible says if you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Nigh means to be made near Memorize scripture. Pray. Live holy. Get yourself, you know, a King James Bible. Um, 
And even some of the King James Bibles are a little bit messed up. And I've, I've done a series on altered King James Bibles that you can do a keyword search and find. Uh, unfortunately, the King James Bibles are, uh, the, the real good ones are pretty hard to find. And I believe that's no accident. Because the Bible says in Amos that in the end times many will run to and fro, basically seeking the word of God. And they will not find it. Now, I'm not saying if you have a, a King James Bible, it's not the Word of God. I'm just saying there are there are actually, uh, from what we found, a little bit better versions. Better the, the text is purer than some of the text out there. And again, I believe this is one of the main things Satan has done since 1880, is corrupt the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation of our faith. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do, according to Psalm 11, verse 3? So if he can corrupt the word of God, then he can undermine and destroy subtly our faith because we think we have a Bible, yet it's a perverted Bible, particularly the ones that have spawned from the revised version of 1881 who to occultists named Westcott and Hort actually translated out of two corrupt Catholic manuscripts, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, which ultimately traced their origins back to Alexandria, Egypt. They were corrupted. And all of the modern versions, essentially, that have spawned, other than the true King James, not the new King James, that's not a good version, but other than the King James, almost all of the versions that are out there spawned from the revised version of 1881, which is a corruption. And again, if you have any doubts, just key in King James on my keyword search, or even KJV, and uh, you'll find those teachings. It's a very important subject. Uh, the Bible says, "Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces." The word is is like a fire, in like a hammer that breaketh. The, but see, do you believe that? Because we're going to have to have that kind of faith going into the times that we're coming into. What if one of these things manifested to you? I've, I've reported to you before that there's all these. Sightings of these things called black-eyed beings. Not black-eyed peas, but black-eyed beings. They're showing up everywhere, and they usually manifest as children. What would you do if you were confronted with this type of pure evil? How would you react? The day and time I believe is coming, as it was in the days of Noah, the giants were walking openly. They were ruling over mankind. It got so bad, God had to destroy the world. Fallen angels had procreated with women, according to Genesis 6, the sons of God. Now, when they fell, they weren't called the sons of God anymore. But if you look in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, every time they use the application of the sons of God, it is always in reference to angels. Every time. Now, the sons of God in the New Testament, we are actually called the sons of God. But in the Old Testament, the biblical exegesis application is always angels. It's used, I think, four or five times. Many times in Job, even. So these were fallen angels that came down, procreated with women, human women, and produced a race of giants. Well, they were walking openly among them in Genesis 6. And Jesus Christ himself said, as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, which is the days we're in now. So we should be expecting for this evil to at some point to openly manifest itself and actually be not hidden anymore. 
Just like it was in the days of Noah. How are you going to react if one of these things confronts you? I'll be honest with you. I am, I can't wait. I really can't. Because, see, I've dealt with pure evil before. I've dealt with it. And you know what? Every single time, if I just call out on the name of Jesus Christ, they go. Now, I'm not saying that to brag or my Mr. Big Spiritual Mr. Dude over here. I'm just telling you. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to the dividing of the soul and spirit and the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a sword. And that's another reason why the Bible says, Wherefore put on the full arm of God, that you be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. That's why we put on the full armor of God. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying, God wants warriors. He doesn't want a bunch of people that are out there afraid of evil. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have more power. See, the thing is, is, is the way that Hollywood has portrayed all of this and all of these these shows is that they have power. Christians have no power. And a lot of Christians have bought into that. And they fear these, these, let's say, these evil entities more than they fear God. Now, the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. Now, this would be considered the fear of man. The fear of this world. We're supposed to fear God, not man. And, and um, this is just something that I want to instill in my listeners, that we have greater power, and you need to quote scripture. When Satan manifested to Jesus Christ, what did Jesus Christ do? Well, I mean, on this earth. He quoted scripture. That's all he did. Quoted scripture. When he, remember, fasted and prayed in the desert for 40 days, Satan tempted him, he quoted scripture. And then at the end, he said, get thou behind me, now Satan. It's essentially he rebuked him. How did Michael the archangel, when contending with the body of Moses, deal with Satan? He said, although Michael's greater in power than we, and this is in the book of Jude, he brought not a railing accusation against Satan. He didn't do like a lot of Pentecostals do and say, oh, you stupid, dumb devil, I put you under my foot, and you, you dumb, idiotic idiot. He didn't say that. He brought not a railing accusation against Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. There are certain ways you deal with an evil entity, whether it's some demonic manifestation, whether it's a fallen angelic manifestation, whether it be one of these vampires, whether it be whatever you want to talk about. There's a certain way you deal with them biblically, and you either quote scripture. I'm just, I'm giving you the biblical model here. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you what does the Bible, what is the New Testament example that Jesus Christ said himself? You quote scripture, or the Lord rebuke you. Now, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you is even better. Anyway, that's a little primer on how, uh, how to do this, how to deal with them. Um, now, here's why I say that I can't wait until this happens, starts happening. Because so much of what's going on now is like, it's like a facade. It's like, play church. When this starts really happening, and evil gets to a point where it's open, number one, the true Christians are really going to be shown. The, the, the people that truly have faith and are true Christians, they're going to like, 
They're going to glorify the Lord. They're going to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through their own actions, through their own faith, because it always boils down to faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you have faith in the word of God? Because if you really do, you'll be able to confront evil. Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't have any part of you that was afraid at all. I'm not saying you just go and, you know. But I'm saying the Lord will give you the grace and the strength to do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. That's what the Bible says. And these are verses that you need to think about. But think about this. One of these, whatever evil entity may manifest. And, you, and, and if it happens to your typical lukewarm Christian, they shriek in a corner and say, okay, whatever, whatever you want, I'll give you. And whatever, Mr. Big Bad Devil. And I'm a, I'm a wimp. And I don't have any faith at all. And I don't believe... See, this is part, I believe, of the trying of our faith that the Bible speaks about in Daniel, in Revelation, and these types of things that's coming. Many will be tried, it says, and will be refined as silver. Being tried might not be fun, might not be something that you want to do. But if you are tried, and let's say one of these things manifest or whatever, and it's in front of other people in particularly, and you rebuke that thing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you quote scripture, and that thing flees in abject horror and terror, who gets the glory? The Lord Jesus Christ. As long as you give the Lord Jesus Christ the glory, you make it abundantly clear, that wasn't me, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. I just did what the Bible said to do. The Lord did it. I didn't do it. I'm not like in and of myself. I have, I'm nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm nothing. Who gets the glory? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you see how that could be a tremendous witnessing tool? <laughs> you talk about action leading people to the Lord. Putting your money where your mouth is or whatever you want to call it. But if you shriek back an abject whore and the world sees that, they're saying, oh yeah, your God's real powerful. Yeah, he's so powerful, you just shriek back like a baby. You were afraid of that. I'm just telling you the time's coming when evil is going to be manifest openly in the world. It's not, it's not that way yet. But Hollywood and all of these media, media outlets have been preparing us for this. It's going to be the most wicked time the world's ever known has to happen. The Bible predicted it. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So anyway, I just want to encourage you in that because, uh, you know, the Bible says, who will stand up for me against the evildoers? And I still, you know, I, I get trickle emails from people where, or, you know, one every once in a while, oh, you just, I got one this week, all you need to preach is God's love. Well, I'm so glad for, for you telling me what my mission calling is. I said, what do you do with all these verses? And I gave them about 40 or 50. That say how we need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You know, stuff like that. To, to uh, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. You know, there's just so many Bible verses that we have to ignore to walk around with a single-minded mindset where we just need to talk about Jesus' love now, that might have been a new ager that emailed me. You know, love is one attribute of God, but it's not the only attribute. So, if we go back to this article, um, 
For centuries, vampires have been part of folklore and mythology, understood to be ugly, dark creatures of morbid horror, close to the dead, sometimes known as the undead, as they claim eternal they claim eternal life and subsist by feeding on human blood. They roam in darkness, avoid the light, and are enemies of the human race. It's kind of funny. Whenever you see somebody get up into the very, very high levels of the occult, they typically will get to a point where they almost have to totally subsist on human blood. And it's the one thing, in the, as far as eating, in the Bible, that the Bible totally forbids to eat. Now, I understand there's unclean animals, like in the Levitical Old Testament and stuff like that, uh, when they were under the law. And, those, the, and there's wisdom in that. And I've done a whole teaching on the Levitical dietary guidelines that you can access. But I'm talking about blood. Blood's a perpe- the Bible says that not to eat blood, and this is a perpetual covenant. You don't ever eat blood. And it's the one thing they have to subsist on. You know, it's just more proof that the Bible is correct in, in what it says. Um, going further, this repulsive concept was changed with the popularization of, of Bram Stoker's famous 1897 novel about a fictionalized vampire named Count Dracula. Now, let me just stop there for a second, because that fictional vampire was actually based on a man, a ruler named Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler. Now, I understand it was embellished for Hollywood, okay? But Vlad the Impaler was a real guy, was a real ruler in Transylvania. And the reason they called him Vlad the Impaler is because when he went out to battle, and they got pictures of this guy, when, I mean, drawings, artist pictures. But when he went out to battle, what he would do is he would take everyone that, that they killed or, or were going to kill, and he would impale them on gigantic stakes, like 10, 12 feet high. He'd put them right through the stakes, and they would just sit there on their back, and they would die a slow death. And he would literally sit there while they were all dying, and he would spread out a table before him and watch as everybody was tortured and dying slow deaths, and he would he thought that was great. He probably and they, they said that he did drink human blood. Now you gotta understand, somebody's that demon possessed. Why would anything surprise you that they did? How could anybody drink human blood? I don't know. It's disgusting. But it just seems it's no coincidence that the more demon possessed you become the more propensity, and I don't care if you call yourself a vampire or whatever you call yourself, the more propensity that you have to want to drink human blood. It's something that Satan requires at the highest levels of the occult. So you have to understand, this is Satan's mind. This isn't, this isn't the person just all of a sudden waking up one day saying, I want to drink a glass of blood. It, it's, it's Satan demon possessing them. And this is what drives them to this. And it drives them also because they feel that's the only way they can gain more power. So anyway, this uh, was a uh, Count Dracula who was presented as an aristocrat of the Transylvanian nobleman. This is this Bram Stoker's movie. He was imbued with supernatural powers, superhuman capabilities, and a lustful passion for beautiful ladies whose blood he became addicted to. His blood sucking was twofold to maintain his eternal life force and eventually and eventually befall his victim with the curse of vampirism and ultimate death. No matter how replacendent the vampire is portrayed in mythology and fiction, 
In Scripture, blood drinking and creatures of darkness are judged as despicable by God. Also, Scripture explains that fallen angels or fallen spirits are those who who have deliberately chosen to follow their leader Satan, according to Isaiah 14, and deny their creator God. For this choice, they are damned with eternal separation from God and ultimately eternity in the lake of fire, according to Revelation 15. So see, this is their ultimate end, and they want to take as many people there as they can with them. That's their only motivation at this point. I mean, maybe deep down they think they're going to win this battle. They're they're that deluded. I don't know. They're devils. You can't really get in their own heads. But that's their ultimate end, is the lake of fire. For centuries, pagan rituals have sought taking human blood to appease the bloodthirsty lust of spirits and forces of darkness who target humans made in the image of God to mock God's handiwork. Distortion of the purpose of blood is a satanic mockery of, of God's intent for the sacredness blood represents. The scripture teaches in Deuteronomy 12.23 that the blood is the life. The life of the body is in the blood. Hey, you want to prove it? Well, you know, I'm not saying you want to prove it, but I'm saying all you got to do, all you'd have to do is you know, cut your throat and bleed out. You're not going to be living long if you do that. And without, but also the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And this is why Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross, his blood sacrifice, the perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, it's the only sacrifice that can truly pay our sin debt. Because blood is required for the remission of sins. And we have that Old Testament example, you know, all the way back to Adam and Eve, really. Because when they were, um, when they realized they were naked after they had sinned, what did God, you know, God made them the coats of skins to wear. He had to kill an animal in order to give them a covering for their, now it was sin for them to be naked. Before it wasn't before sin had entered in. So that's the first example we see of a blood sacrifice in the whole Bible. You know, and then Cain and Abel. Cain brought fruits and vegetables, but Abel's sacrifice was actually accepted. It was a blood sacrifice. So, again, that's just a little side note there. Uh, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That, that's a quote from Hebrews 9.22. In the Old Testament, a substitutionary lamb was required to be sacrificed by God's people as an offering for their sin. In the New Testament, the lamb of God's gift in Jesus Christ, who offered himself as a lamb, the perfect lamb, who takes away the sin of the world, according to John 1.29. The Bible records that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and that death through sin came unto all men, because all have sinned. With sin comes not only physical death, death, but death to the eternal soul separated from the presence of God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says if we say we have no sin, the truth, and this is even to a born-again Christian, because that's um, 1 John in reference to Christians. If we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. But But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is something we need to do even as a born-again Christian. We do need to confess our sin. Okay? I mean, Paul basically said in, in, um, Oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The things that I shouldn't do, that I do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. 
That's what Paul said, the greatest apostle. Now, that doesn't give us a license to sin. We don't sin. The Bible says, should we sin that grace may be abound? Then it says, God forbid. No, we don't sin. And it says, then, use not our liberty for an occasion under the flesh. Because we have liberty in Christ, but we don't use that liberty for an occasion to feed our fleshly side. So again, there's, there's a biblical balance here we have to look at. And again, you could go down that rabbit trail and do a whole other study. And I've, I've mentioned that quite a few times in previous studies. So if we go further, uh, let's see here. The Bible records that the sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin came unto all men because all have sinned. With sin, um, oh, I'm sorry, I reread this. <laughs> uh, let's see here. So how much more did God's grace in the gift, eternal life, connected back into the presence of God that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Um, and that's essentially recorded in Romans 5, 12 through 16. To God, eternal life is an important issue. For his love's sake, he gave us Jesus Christ to redeem back to himself what man can't redeem on his own. Man can't redeem his own soul. Bear in mind, that's what 99, probably percent of the world's population are trying to do through their various religions. Or even, you know, hey, we all got to believe in something. Even if you're an atheist, you still believe in something. You know, so people that are trying to get to wherever they're trying to get to, whether they call paradise or nirvana or whatever, you know, they're trying to do it most of the time, well, in those cases, in any false religion, they're trying to do it through their own works. But they cannot redeem themselves. There's nothing you can do to redeem yourself. But that's the problem. Man has such a struggle with pride that they're always trying to do things to redeem them. I'm basically a good person, or I'm a good Hindu, or I'm a good Buddhist, or I'm a good Mormon. It's all an abomination in the sight of God. The Bible says, for you are saved by grace, through faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, why? Lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I've done a whole teaching on the true gospel message of salvation. You can key that in on the keyword search box on the homepage. But it's not of works, why? Lest any man should boast. The Bible says God will share his glory with no one. There's certain things God doesn't share, you know, and he's just. So, you know, I don't want any of God's glory. I want him to be glorified. Let the Lord be lifted up, you know. Humble yourself before God and in the sight of men, you know. The Bible says in due time he'll lift you up. Uh, let's go further here. So, so he gave us Jesus to redeem back to him, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, what man cannot redeem. Believers can only overcome sin and eternal damnation by the blood of the Lamb, according to um, Revelation 12, 11. There is no other way. Well, the Bible says in that, it says they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love their lives not under the death. So, and then it goes on to say there is no other way. Pagan cultures seduced by myths and lying doctrines of demons have attempted to salvage eternal damnation by ceremony. One of them being vampirism. The sucking of blood believed to sustain eternal life. See how it's a mockery of Christ? They subsist on human blood. They have to have it. But it's an ongoing sacrifice that they have to have. Whereas when Jesus Christ said it was finished, that one blood sacrifice that the perfect land that was slain before the foundation of the earth, that was all that was required to pay the sin debt of all humanity. 
Not like the Catholics try to constantly re-crucify Christ on the cross every time they go to Mass. Uh, going further, such is the story of Twilight. The mortal heroine, the young teenager Bella, like so many teenagers today, and sadly even a lot of so-called Christians, is naive about the reality of the eternal soul and is willing to give her to a demon-possessed, blood-sucking young man because she doesn't value the eternal life Jesus Christ gave to her. In a future movie, Bella does succumb to the vampire status. And yes, they do have sex in an unwanted baby. Boy, you talk about Satan's seed. You know, getting pregnant by a vampire. That's Satan's seed there. Anyway, the secular reviewers of The Twilight call it a dark romance that seeps into the soul. Evil communication corrupts good manners. The Bible says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes to flee all appearance of evil. You don't want to... In the Bible, here's the main verse. As a man thinketh, so is he. Okay, that's what the Bible says. So if, if you're thinking on these things all the time, it's one thing to check something out, to, 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 to learn about Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage of us, according to uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11. It's one thing to check something out. But it's another thing to immerse yourself in it, that it seeps into your soul, because it will. To like get into it, you know, and and again, the these are people that are absolutely immersing themselves in this. The original title of the Twilight was called Corpse, but the publisher changed it to make it more appealing. Yeah, Twilight's a lot more appealing than Corpse. The content of Twilight is in opposition to many scriptures that promote sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, all forbidden in the Bible. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was a, it was a basically if they caught you doing it, it was a death sentence. It was a death sentence. Why? Because it defiled the land. They knew it defiled the land. Having a witch in your presence defiles the land. How much? How is it today? My word! All these people involved in the occult, abortions taking place, the blood of the innocent defiling the land, homosexuality, sodomy taking place that defiles the land. America, particularly America, which is a source of a lot of this, is so defiled. And I know there's tons of other places that are maybe even worse, but it's just hard to comprehend. Yet some church youth groups and Christian movie review sites suggest the relationship and the sexual tension of the two teenagers, one being a demonic vampire, draws parallels with Christian morals with lessons for the Christian to be found within the stories. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so... This Stephanie Meyer, the author, received, quote, received the story of Twilight in a dream on June 2nd, 2003. The vision she had of a vampire and a mortal as lovers compelled her to start writing the story immediately. She says that she couldn't resist the drive to write down her dream, which is a very similar scenario to J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. Meyer gives a summary of that first dream. I woke up and on that on the 2nd of June I had a very vivid dream. In my dream two people were having an intense conversation in a meadow in the woods. One of these people was just your average girl. The other person was a fantastically beautiful, sparkly, and a vampire. Now remember, the Bible says if Satan can, can transform himself into an angel of light, 
It is no mere, it is no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness. Okay, so a lot of times people that are the most charismatic, the most appearing wonderful people, are the most wicked evil people on the planet. And this is why there's so many televangelists that fit this mold. Because they're of their father the devil, and of his works they will do. They are hirelings that have no true love for the sheep. They're doing it for the hire, for the money. And the love of money is the root of all evil. So, this is what happens when you, when you run into this. And th- so many times, I, I just listened to this testimony the other day from this one particular man, and he was saying that it, he was involved in a high-level occult, and when these, when these devils would manifest, they would always manifest in the most beautiful ways. Like women in long flowing white gowns, just unbelievably gorgeous, or the most handsome men you can pro- possibly imagine. Sure, that's how Satan, they're gonna wanna make it look as good as they can possibly look to you. Oh, how could something that beautiful be so evil? It can't be. Well, if you saw them in their true form, you would shriek and pull back an abject tear in horror, most likely. But that's how they're presenting themselves to you or somebody involved in the occult. Now later, if you're involved in the occult, once they really have their hooks in you and and once you're demon infested enough and you've sold out enough to Satan, they'll start manifesting in their true form. And that in and of itself, the fear of that compels you to not cross them because you see them in their true form. They hook you with the beauty and then later when the, the uh, facade comes off, then they'll manifest in their the regular form, and that you could see that all over in these in these people that are involved in high level occult. I've seen I've seen that testimony many times. So it goes back to this article. It says they were discussing the difficulty in this dream. They were discussing the difficulties inherent in the facts that they a were falling in love with each other. Now this is when she had the first dream that inspired her to write this Twilight series, and b the vampire was particularly attracted to the scent of her blood. And was having a difficult time restraining himself from killing her immediately. Oh, you know, hey, I mean, you know, I love you, but I got—I just want to kill you. I just want to kill you and suck all the blood out of your body. I just love you that much. That's pretty twisted, warped love. Within three months, she had the entire novel written. Within six months, it had been dreamed, written, and readied for publishing. Understand something. This whole series, Twilight, was channeled channeled and i'm going to prove it just like alice bailey's works all those books she wrote that matreya promotes the blueprints for the new age all channeled works i believe it was the course in miracles that was channeled channeled by a demon a lot of the rock songs that you have stairway to heaven they're channeled automatic writing these people sit down and the demon possesses them and they just start writing and they're on automatic pilot the demon's moving the hand for them They've given themselves over to Satan. Happens all the time. Well, guess what? The Twilight series was was written the same exact way. Doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that before I did the study, but, you know. So, it was channeled by demons, the, the whole series. And then she admits she had no little or no prior writing experience 
only with a bachelor's degree in English, and had to learn from the internet how to publish a book proposal. She tried a few times, and miraculously it got published with a $750,000 publishing contract. I, I bet you more than... Not bet, but... I would venture to say there's a high likelihood she definitely made some kind of deal with a devil, or the devil, or whatever you want to call it. Happens all the time. This testimony that I was listening to the other day, this guy had been talking to this guy that was a real big time um, jazz band leader, real, real famous. And the guy flat out told him, he said, listen, he said, I, I go to the source of power. He says, how do you think I got to this level where I'm at? You think I got there just by good luck? Because he asked the guy, he said, how do you think I got here? He says, well, you must have good luck. He says, there's no such thing as luck. Of course, luck is really derived from the word Lucifer. So in a way it was. But the devil, he made a deal with the devil. Okay? whether And they literally, people that are at the highest levels of not only government, the 13 families of the Illuminati, Hollywood stars, so many people that are in the highest offices, in the highest levels of our world, literally have made deals with the devil in order to get there. I'm, I'm not making this up. If you see people that have come out from these types of things, they'll confirm this. Now, if they're in it, they're not going to confirm it. He had said that he saw an interview with Loretta Lynn, like in the 70s, where she said that she had a sister, no, no, a, a girlfriend that was really, really close to her, and she died when she was like 18. They were both very close. And she said it was like a year later, all of a sudden, this girl walks out of the wall and starts talking to her. And she says, you know, hey, Loretta, whatever, and... I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you favor in your career. And you're going to you're going to be able, you're going to advance in your career and you're going to be wildly popular. And from that point on, all the quote stars started to align. And she got she 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 had she wasn't having any success at all in trying to break into the country music business. And this is this is out of Loretta Lynn's own mouth. And from that point on, she had nothing but success. And she said there was one time she was in a concert and she came out there and she had been sick, I believe. And she was trying to, uh, she went to start singing and there was nothing there. There was this concert and she said there was nothing there. She was sick, she didn't have her voice. And she said at that point, she said somebody tapped her on the shoulder, she looked over and it was her friend, the spirit, this familiar spirit, this spirit that was mimicking her friend happens all the time with these people. Oh yeah, I went to a seance and I encountered dear Aunt Mildred. And the spirit will manifest that looks like Aunt Mildred and sounds just like her. It is a familiar spirit that was associated with Aunt Mildred that is there. It's a lying and deceitful spirit that is there to make sure you're deceived. And they know everything about that person. Why? Because they were familiar with them. They possessed that person, or they were in that person while they lived. They knew all their actions. They knew their inflections of their voice. They knew everything about them. Remember, if, if Satan could transform himself into an angel of light, so 
it's no marvel that these the, these spirits can transform themselves into what appear to be departed family members, departed friends, things of this nature. And it's getting more and more and more prevalent. As more and more wickedness more and more abounds, these things are happening more and more and more. And I'll tell you what, all it takes for most people is for somebody to see that happen one time and they're like, it doesn't matter what they might have believed about the Bible. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body as a Christian is to be present from the Lord. It also says, it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We just don't get to keep coming back like reincarnation would teach and keep trying over and over again on the great wheel of karma. That doesn't happen. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You either go to heaven or hell when you die. That is it. And these people don't just get to come back from hell and present themselves as wonderful as their buddies. And it's so funny because when they do come back in these seances and they do this, you know, they always say, oh, everything's great and, and this and that. And, and, you know, you could just throw the Bible out the window if you believe that. Because these these people weren't even Christians the, ma- the vast majority of the time. So anyway, this lady comes, she, she's trying to sing on stage and as she's singing, nothing's coming out, but all of a sudden, her voice is just perfect and it's coming out and she's realizing the spirit is singing through her. She's, and that's what Loretta Lynn admitted. She said the spirit was actually singing through me, this my so-called friend. You think Loretta Lynn will ever get saved? She's all she is. I mean, and do you think that would affect her music? I mean, as far as if you listen to it, now that's just probably the least of things. And then you've got the really demonic rock music. All I'm saying is that there's a lot of people out there, most people that are in these high-level positions, they're not leading anybody to Christ. They're not pointing people to righteousness. Their lives are not being used to glorify God. They're being used for self-centered purposes. They're being used to get your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being used as a tool of Satan. And there's a demonic component to these recordings as well. Especially if what's empowering you is some demonic spirit that's posing as, as your friend from times past. Just something to think about. So if we go further, she got the $750,000 publishing contract. She had no prior writing experience, but yet all the stars are aligning, like in astrology, literally. Miraculous happenings have been known to come from powers of darkness. And in this case, no matter how it's sliced, the God of the Bible would not use vampires, sexual tension, lust, boyfriend worship, teenage romance to spread his gospel of eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, there's no way you can use something evil for something good. Can something evil come out of something good? Job 18.4, I believe. That's essentially, that's a paraphrase. But no, it can't. No. Meyer, a Mormon, she's a Mormon, and the mother of three, states that her inspiration for writing her vampire saga came from a band of musicians called Marjorie, Marjorie Fair. Uh, and this is a quote by her. And it says, for New Moon, the, her book New Moon, they were absolutely essential, this rock band group. 
okay? They put you into a suicidal state faster than anything I know. Now, this was the rock band, or the band, that inspired her, particularly in her, her book New Moon and the Twilight Saga. And they were essential. Why were they essential? Because they can put you, this band can put you into a suicidal state faster than anything I know. This is a quote from her, the lady that wrote Twilight. And it says, their songs really made it beautiful for me. Suicide beautiful? Well, if you think about it, if you were actually contemplating becoming a vampire, you're committing spiritual suicide, if not physical. That's evidently why it was essential. It says, their songs really made it beautiful for me. Also, an inspiration for one of her characters was a band called My Chemical Romance. One of my personal favorites. Sorry, just kidding, teasing. And then she states, quote, it's someone who just wants to go out and blow things up. That was her quote. So, scaringly, Meyer's fictional character, Edward, took on the terrifying form of a real spirit when it leapt from the pages of her saga and communicated with her in a dream. She says she had an additional dream after Twilight was finished when her vampire character, Edward, came to visit and speak to her. The Edward who visited her in the night told her she got it all wrong because he did drink human blood and could not live only on animal blood. In other words, this spirit that was supposedly coming her, saying, well, I'm, I'm a good vampire. I'm a vegan, strict vegan vampire. You know, I live on sprouts and mung beans. Oh, no. He came back later and he had corrected that and said, you know, no, 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 no. You're wrong. I, I can't only live on animal blood. I have to drink human blood. And it says that in this dream, it said, we had this conversation and he was terrifying. End of quote. So, in other words, his true colors are coming out. Just like any other time you make some kind of deal with the devil. Comes you an angel of light form. Oh, so beautiful, this and that. And then all of a sudden, later, wow, you know, what have I got myself into? This spirit's a psychopath. He's nuts. He's pure evil. It's too late, though. Well, they'll tell you it's too late. But all things are possible for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can actually free you. I don't care if you made a deal with the devil. That's irrelevant. The Lord Jesus Christ is still powerful enough to bring you out of that. I don't care if you sign the contract with your own blood like a lot of them do. Doc Marquis said when he was 13, they sliced his arm open and he took a, a quill pin feather, dipped it in his own blood and signed the Book of the Dead. It's a real book that occultists have. It's called the Book of the Dead. Why? Because they're always trying to mock the things of God. We have to be in the Book of Life in order to be saved. That's what the Bible says. I mean, when you're saved, you're, you're written in the Book of Life. They have their own lambskin book called the Book of the Dead. Now, this is high-level Luciferian, generational Luciferianism. It's, it's, just a, it's just a satanic counterfeit. Now, I know this is a really light-hearted teaching today. So, you know, just kind of bear with me. It's whimsical stuff we're talking about here. Just kidding. Teasing. Um, anyway, I tell you what. Let's go to the second part. I thought I was going to be able to get this done in one, but there is no way. I haven't gotten through enough. Oh, boy. I got a lot more to go here, don't I? Tell you what. Let's go a little bit further, and then I'll break for part two. So, Conversations with spirits saying that they need human blood to drink in, fr in a frightening dream visitations by spirits are part of occult communication. Meyer's spiritual experiences could well be influenced by her Mormon faith. Well, yes, she's 
if if she was a generational Mormon, she's already got a lot of demonic baggage, even from the birth. Even from birth. This, remember, the Bible says the sins of the forefather are carried to the third and fourth generation. So, there's a, such a thing as generational witchcraft, generational demonic baggage, these types of things. Um, Meyer's spiritual experience could well be influenced by her Mormon faith, which allows communication with the so-called dead. Okay, so uh, understand, she's already open for it anyway. Indeed, the dead of former generations are baptized into Mormonism in the Mormon temple ritual. Did you know that? Well, I've done a whole teaching on Mormonism. We, we, I believe we touched on that. Okay, so, so communication with the dead is allowed. Uh, indeed, the dead of former generations were baptized into the Mormonism in the Mormon temple ritual. Mormon founder Joseph Smith was, quote, visited by a communicating angel called Moroni, whose statue stands atop all Mormon temples. This is this is this fallen angel that visited him. It's on top of all Mormon temples. This fallen angel of Mormonism gave Smith messages on which he formed his Mormon doctrine about prior civilizations none of which have been discovered despite endless archaeological digs to substantiate Mormons' claims. So, they actually, it's called baptism by proxy, I believe is what they call it, where they actually baptize the dead because they need to be baptized, because they were baptized. So, this is why the Mormons are so obsessed with genealogy and that they've got the most extensive genealogy computers on the planet in Salt Lake City. Because they want to know in their lineage, who needs to be baptized by proxy? What dead person needs to be baptized by proxy? That's why they do it. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. But see, they again, that you can see how she would have been more open to this um, demonic infestation. Uh, other Mormon teachings conflict with biblical Christianity, such as Mormonism claims that Jesus of the Bible is the half-brother of Satan. Oh yes, they absolutely believe that. They also believe that Creator God lives on the planet Kolob, spelled K-O-L-O-B, I believe, Kolob, and that when you die as a good Mormon, particularly a man, you get to have your own planet and make little spiritual babies on other planets with all your harem of wives. You have your own little planet. Well, isn't that the lie? Isn't that the lie of... of it really boils down to all religions. Ye shall be as gods. As the Bible talked about in Genesis 3. That's what that was the first temptation that got Eve to sin. Ye shall be as gods, he said to her. Well, it's the same carrot that they dangle out in front of people in almost all religions, particularly at the higher levels. Okay, well, I have my own planet. Aren't I special? Aren't I... And then what happens? Pride. What does pride do? Blind you? Well, I'm better than thee. I'm better than thou. I can't stand that religious spirit. It is a religious spirit. That interview I told you I was watching the other day, these people that were interviewing them, I didn't realize they were Seventh-day Adventists until about an hour and 70 minutes into it. They had the most arrogant-looking particularly the wife, like, I am so much better than anyone else. Man, God detests that. 
If we got what we deserve, we'd all get death and hell. The Bible talks about considering the pit from whence thou wast dug. Don't forget about that pit. You humble yourself before God. Remember, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Never ever should you be walking around proud. Well, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm proud of it. I'm better than you. Never. If you get into that mindset, oh, if you're one of God's kids, He will chasten you. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, He also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then ye are bastards. An illegitimate son. If you're walking around all proud and full of yourself, thinking you're a born-again Christian, living like the devil, no chastisement of God on you, you're not saved. There ain't no way. The Holy Spirit's really living inside you. You're not going to be able to get away with that. In other words, there's evidence of a born-again Christian. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, these types of things. Is there chastening on your life? Is there conviction about sin? Things like that. Anyway, it's just pride, I'm telling you. that This stuff breeds pride. And it's deadly. So, they believe that, you know, Jesus is the half-brother of Satan and Mormonism. And again, they always have their extra-biblical books. In Mormonism, it's, uh, what, the Pearl of Great Price is their one of their books. And then the Book of Mormon. The only thing they get right is they do use a King James Bible. But when you commingle it with this other garbage, it, it they've made the Word of God of none effect through their tradition. That's what happens. They've, they've leavened it. And remember, the Bible, leaven is always a type of sin. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Uh, Jesus Christ warned of the, of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it's, no, not bread leaven. Like yeast. But what does yeast do? It permeates through the lump. Makes the whole lump rise. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. No, he said to beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was the doctrine that he warned them about. The leavened doctrine that was contrary to the word of God. That's why we just have to stick to the word of God. And not follow man, but follow what the word of God says. The Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 We don't want to trust in man, but only the word of God. So going further... Mormons additionally believe numerous teachings about spirits that oppose Bible truths and that could help embellish Meyer's Twilight series. In the 2007, uh, Stephanie Meyer wrote portions of a work entitled Prom Nights from Hell. Oh, that, isn't that special? Which is about supernatural events surrounding evil prom nights. Um, on May 6, 2008, she released her adult novel, The Host which is about invading alien souls, meaning they these alien souls were host, in other words, these demonic spirits were using a human as their host. That's what happens. That's what they do. That's what demons are always attempting to indwell a human body. Most likely because these demons are disembodied Nephilim that the Bible talks about in Genesis 6. The book of Enoch does explain that. Now, the Book of Enoch is quoted in Jude, so you can't say the Book of Enoch has no validity whatsoever. And the Book of Enoch, from my standpoint, does confirm the Word of God. But the only one I'll ever tell anybody to read is the Book of Enoch that is the hardback blue book, uh, hard, dark blue cover, uh, 
I don't. I used to tell people to go up on Amazon.com to get it, but it's the one with the KJV cross references, and it tells you that the Nephilim or the, these giants that were roaming the land of Genesis six are disembodied spirits. That the demons, fallen angels, are different. Fallen angels are are, are, are are fallen angels. Demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Why would a disembodied demon want to indwell in body? Because that's where what he dwelled in when he was here on earth. He had a body. The giant had the body. Well, now he's disembodied. These are the spirits that roam the earth. And the Bible even talks about that when a spirit leaveth a man, he seeketh, he go about in dry places, and he seek not, and he seeks a body. But when he find it, he go back to the person that he inhabited. And if that person is not basically saved, if the Holy Spirit's not dwelling within them, he find that house swept clean. And he brings seven more spirits, even more wicked than himself, to dwell that body, indwell the body. This is how people get demon-possessed. Again, I don't have time to get into that, but this, this book called The Host, which is about invading alien souls that take over a person and get them to do what they want. It's demon possession. And again, why would a fallen angel want to inhabit a body? They were never in a, like, they weren't disembodied fallen angels. Whereas the giants, the Nephilim, and the Nephilim is the root word for giants in Genesis 6, just so you know. And it means the fallen ones. Okay? I've done a whole series on, on the giants, Nephilim, just key in part of the word Nephilim, and you'll find all the teachings I've done on this. So, before you come back to me and say this or that, listen to the teachings, look at the scriptural proof before, you know, you get all up in arms about it. So, this behavior is called demonic possession, a state that Jesus came to set captives free from. Meyer's fiction crosses over to a severe occult philosophy. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and end there, and we're going to go to part three next.